Hey everyone, before we begin today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the dynamic duo over at the 2 for 1 special podcast, where two brothers go outside the box when it comes down to talking about video games and anime. Not only will they have you thinking, but you can also enjoy some funny moments and some slow ones too. Be sure to check them out for weekly episodes over at Anchor, Spotify, or wherever your podcast will take you. And now, on to the show. Welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. Not gonna lie, I've been having a pretty good couple of days considering that it's been nothing but sun and clear skies over here for the majority of the time over the past two weeks on the West Coast. Until a couple of days ago, considering that the give and take has been pushing back and forth and for 10 straight days of sun, it looks like we're probably going to be getting 10 straight days of rain, so... You can't necessarily win everyone, but now it kind of gives me an excuse to actually stay in and catch up on a couple of shows that I've been lacking on for the past couple of days, but everything else has been going pretty smoothly, other than the majority of the shows that have been popping up uh, over the past couple of days, with the spring season still getting into full swing, about three to four weeks or so into this new season, and so a lot of shows have been popping up and rising above the expectations, and a few others have been kind of... Eh, I don't know, middling, kind of just having my expectations brought up a bit too high, but that's kind of all on me at that point. But at least I know that once Godzilla's singular point actually debuts on Netflix outside of Japan in June, people are actually going to be realizing what is building out to be possibly my favorite show this season. Even amongst To Your Eternity and My Hero Academia Season 5, we're still getting much-needed new and original adaptations, even though the story has been kind of ran dry and with so many different adaptations. What Bones and Studio Orange have been able to accomplish in the first four episodes that we've been able to see... This season has been incredibly charming and incredibly entertaining and fun to watch. Sailing the high seas and the Grand Line has been the only way I've been able to catch up on the first couple of episodes here, but if that's not to your taste until it actually decides to make its debut over in North America, then coming around June, you'll be able to see what I mean. And the other piece of Netflix uh, content that I'm legitimately interested in looking forward to is that I'm actually going to be getting a pretty decent birthday present. Since Castlevania's fourth season is going to be debuting on May 13th, as Netflix eyes new series in its same universe, considering that this is going to be the final season of the this original Castlevania series that has been popping up over the past couple of years on Netflix. They are going to be moving forward with new projects in-universe, but in terms of the characters that we've been able to get to know over these past couple of seasons, in terms of Alucard, Belmont, and Cypher... Their story is going to end with this 10-episode fourth season that's going to be popping up in May. And I'm pretty sure... Eh, I can't necessarily remember if one of my first episodes was jumping into a lot of the Netflix series, going around and kind of finding what I was able to enjoy over the past couple of months with quarantine and all. But to be fair, I'm going to be kind of sad to see this go. Oh boy, because of what... Powerhouse Animation Studios has been able to bring us over the past couple of years with just the small amount of seasons that they've been able to give us. It's more than enough of the acclaim that it's been able to achieve over its past couple of runs. But in terms of new, like fresh, right off the market pieces of info that have been dropped over the past basically 24 hours, Madoka Magica, it's getting a new anime film. And it's going to act as a sequel to The Rebellion. It was announced that they were going to continue the story of the third Madoka Magic film that opened back up in October of 2013, man. 
it's honestly giving me vibes back to Evangelion 3.0, considering that it's been this bloody long, and I thought this was over. Even though the majority of the controversy that came through Rebellion, the non-stop back-and-forth talk about what essentially was good and how, you know, twisted the story in a way that not a lot of fans were happy about, I was still... Eh, I, I was still... It was very middling. Even though technically I haven't really rewatched the film since 2014, it's just been quite a bit of time for me to actually go back through because I do remember really enjoying the original Madoka Magica series, and that's kind of what everybody was going through. If you disagreed with what essentially happened in the movie and how a lot of it was back and forth, then you still had the original television series considering that, yeah, no... It was more than enough of a standalone project on its own, and you could basically just call the Madoka Magica movie basically a side story, an alternative. A separate timeline, you could also call it. But the only thing that is actually bringing me back into this fold, the legitimate people who are able to bring this project to life, are all going to be coming back. Shaft is going to be the animation studio. Yuki Kajura is going to be the composer. Gen Urobuchi is going to make his dynamic return as the script writer. And then, of course, Akiyuki Shinbo is going to be the one directing it all at the end of the day. So I am extremely curious, not hyped, considering that that's not going to do me any good with news that's essentially this new and this out of the ordinary. I don't know, man. I'll let it happen, I'll kind of wait and see how this goes, since we're probably not going to be getting it until 22 or 23, but I don't know. It's hard to be hopeful, especially with projects like these, but to be fair, as long as you keep your expectations low, there's no essential way that you can get let down. And remember how I said I was going to stop talking about the Demon Slayer movie? Remember how I thought Mugen Train was just going to slowly fade away so that I could actually just think about any other series of films that's been going around well? No, considering that it was able to get its first North American release through the form of U.S. theater production. And the fact that it was able to gross $9.5 million on the Friday alone, it was able to rank number one in the U.S. And on top of the entirety of it, $19.5 million in its opening weekend, only getting second to the Mortal Kombat film. And the only reason that was the case was because the Mortal Kombat film was able to premiere in 3,000 theaters. And Demon Slayer only premiered in 1,600. And considering the fact that this is one of the only major releases that had any legitimate hype behind it as a film, Demon Slayer was able to just walk in and decimate those numbers and put up a valiant fight even with almost having half of the theaters being the previews shown in it. And I'm sitting up here in Canada, and we're still on lockdown. <laughs> we... Uh, because all I can do is laugh it off, man. Like, there are just so many movies that I was hyped for for 2020, and the fact that none of those are still going to ever come to fruition, even though we're already part of the way through 2021, I'm not going to be able to watch any of these movies until, like, November or December, early fall if I'm lucky. Because, I mean, even though the U.S. all has already gotten... The Heaven's Feel Part 3 movie. It's now already gotten Mugen Train in terms of Demon Slayer's like first cinematic appearance. And now the only things that we have to wait for, only, is the Violet Evergarden film, the Shirobako film, Evangelion 4.0. And, I mean, just say the Tiger, but that's kind of beside the point. Like, all of these films that had the opportunity to come out last year, if only given the time and only given a regular degree of normalcy, now we don't get that. And... If I'm lucky, 
fall is going to come around and G-Kids will finally open up its wallets and its direction back up to Canada to actually go through. Because there's not really much they can do now since Cineplex, like our major uh, feeder distribution chains, they're all shut down. Technically, eh, I, I can't remember if it's a province-by-province province basis, considering that I know it's like, look, Quebec it's down, Ontario it's down, BC is down, like, all of the major bits. <laughs> sorry, maritime provinces, and sorry, middle of the run. Uh, but, I don't know, man. I just want to go in and, like, relive the anime cinematic experience again. Like, bring me back to the days of the My Hero, the first My Hero Academia movie. Like, all of that stuff was incredibly bonkers, and it was one of the more enjoyable film experiences and theater experiences that I've had in a long-ass time. Uh, well, we've already waited this long. I guess we can just give it a bit more time and let it settle. But, you know, <laughs> not much you can do. And there's not really an easy segue to go about this. I mean, I guess in terms of any, like, news-related stuff leading into the topic at hand this week... Uh, Manga Entertainment and Funimation have announced that they're going to be officially rebranding as a whole as Funimation in both the UK and in Ireland. So at least the majority of them are going to be able to go through to start and evolve the website and social media channels as the majority of those things in its distribution of physical and uh, digital stuff are just going to kind of like mesh and mold. And it'll just kind of go around and the rebranding will just all become available under one umbrella. So, you know. Ever since Manga Entertainment had been acquired by Funimation back in April 2019, kind of expected stuff, but you, you give me a take. So, Manga. I understand that the majority of this channel definitely revolves around anime and everything revolving around the medium, even though I do go off on a bit of tangents where it's just kind of like, hey, guess what, we're going to be talking about uh, theatrical stuff. Hey, we're also going to be talking about animation studios that go outside of Japan. Hey, guess what? We're going to be talking about video games for a bit. So, you know, kind of a bit jumping back and forth wherever my heart takes me and kind of like what topic I want to talk about at a specific date. But considering that grandiose relationship that we always have between manga and anime, I'm honestly surprised that it took me this long to actually go through. Um, I would say a bit of the inspiration is that a buddy of mine are just kind of like going back through a contractual obligation, like leading on to another project in the sense that we recommend three volumes of three manga that we end up wanting to watch back and forth, and then we just kind of jump back and forth and see what happens and, you know, kind of just get a take on what we read, what we expected, and what we got. And I was able to give him my three, which we'll talk about three of them, which would be Land of Lustrous, Grand Blue, and Chainsaw Man, but... I would say the three that he was able to give me are definitely ones that I would more than likely recommend, even though I've only read the first three volumes. And so I guess for the beginning, this is just going to be, all right, or I say to get a manga recommendation episode. So take that as you will, and we're just going to have to move on with it. Look, I understand that you're going through a lot of anime recommendations and people are trying to go through on, you know different shows to recommend, different uh, classics to go through, what seasonals are you, are you watching, but at this point in time, we're just going to be jumping right through it and at least try and get a handful of manga recommendations off the board, just so we can kind of diversify a bit and kind of see what happens. So, just to start off, the three stories that I essentially have gotten three volumes to work with definitely go with 20th Century Boys, Oyasumi Punpun, or Goodnight Punpun, and Eden It's an Endless World. And I would give a hard recommendation on the first three volumes that I read of all three of these manga, like flying colors, easy peasy. I mean, basis, 20th century boys, um, these childhood friends essentially have to uh, go back 
and relive the majority of their childhood, considering that, uh, or not relive, essentially go back and figure out the mystery of their childhood, considering that a organization and a story and a backdrop of a, of essentially just a made-up story that they devised as kids is now coming into its own life in the real world through cults, through potential magic, and through all of these thrillers. And this is Dama Urasawa. This is the same dude that did Monster. And this is one of the series that anybody who has read it, and I can definitely see why, everybody wants to see them get, get an anime adaptation for this story to come on and be given new life through a new adaptation. And I can definitely see why. Um, Oyasumi Punpun is essentially just trauma and mental instability and scars. Just nothing enjoyable. <laughs> it's I, I say that in the best way. Because uh, nothing, nothing's fun about this one. This, this, this manga just really like drags you and its characters through the mud, and only inklings of happiness are able to be achieved by any of these characters. Just for the first three volumes that I read, considering that it's mostly just about where essentially your lot in life can already be predetermined based on your parentage and based on your situation, and there's not necessarily anything that you can do about that. Um, how childhood promises can not only be a source of strength, but for a lot of the time too, a very horrible crutch and chain that can hold you down to the most self-deprecating reasons to live. I don't know, man. Even though we're following the first three volumes that I was able to go through, we follow our main character through, like, his tentative elementary school years leading into middle school. But the final, I guess, character introspection that we were able to get from one of his, um, from Pun Pun's uncle was definitely one that I was more interested in considering that this is a man who is who has been traumatized by a specific event in his life and how that kind of forces him into isolation and what his view on the world has become based on that one event, even though he has people outside of his life that want to bring him out of that rut and want him to be positive and actually like legitimately care about him, even though they've only known them for a short amount of time, and his complete and utter refusal to do so because of how he looks at himself, where it's just, I'm scum, I'm a fucking piece of garbage. Why does anybody deserve, why do I deserve any empathy from anybody who decides to want to come into my life because I know I'm worthless, I know I'm garbage, so why? Why are you trying to help me? And it was just so ridiculous in its portrayal, and it was just heart-wrenching, man. I don't know. I would definitely give it, if it's, it's, it's a very tentative recommendation because it will drag out the worst parts of yourself, but it's still, at least for the first three volumes that I read, it was able to bring out in me what not a lot of stories can do. So I definitely enjoyed that to its degree. Um, Eden, It's Endless World, still working through that. So far, considering that the majority of uh, civilization... Well, actually, no. Not the majority. Call it an eighth of the population has died from a virus that has essentially been going through and turning people's metabolism inside out and making them brittle and stone. And as much as it gives a painless death, it doesn't... <laughs> it certainly doesn't uh, make the process any more visceral or any more damning. And so it's up to these two kids who have been able to been granted immunity from this virus to try and find hope outside of the Eden that they were able to accommodate as children. 
And so I'm still working on it, but I definitely would recommend this, like even so off of the first two chapters, which are incredibly long. Like my buddy like threw this to me. It's like, oh yeah, no, it looks like the first three volumes are only like 15 chapters long. That's not too bad. Oh yeah, no, guess what, buddy? Hey, it's 150 chapter or <laughs> 150 pages per chapter. It's like, bruh, <laughs> what are you doing to me? Oh uh, man. So I'm working around those and those have been a lot of good recommendations and good instances for for him to get me uh, like jump started and actually go through and try and look at these from a different angle and kind of like just give on my perspective what I was able to go through. And so it's been a really fun like little project and a little bit of a contract that we can go through that actually like is able to get these because all three of these and eh, no, I would say 20th Century Boys and Goodnight Pun Pun was like on my list, but even as an endless world like came out of nowhere, and I had never heard of this manga series before, and so so far these three have been a really good way to like get me back into yeah simply just reading more manga as of late because there are a handful of sh uh, manga that I've been reading week by week, which I'm going to be talking about today, but it's still kind of much on the backlog. It is definitely a, a secondary in comparison to the amount of shows. Like, dude, I'm watching eight series which doesn't sound like a lot, definitely in comparison to a lot of people, but in comparison to the fact that I think I watched 12, no, 11. I watched 11 series, or 11 seasonals last year, and now I'm watching 15 in total by the end of spring. So I'm going to have already beaten that by half, by half of the year's end. So that'll be definitely interesting. But... I think there's going to be a handful of ones that I want to get out of the way because I know of the severity and I know of the caliber of all of these series, but I haven't read or I haven't finished them. So Kaiju number eight, apparently it's an incredibly satisfying like action monster fighting story. So I definitely give that a watch over at Shonen Plus. Um, Jujutsu Kaisen, I just finished watching the first season. But damn, I want to see this play out as an adaptation. I know I've heard nothing but good things about the manga and the direction that it's going and the fact that it's still going on week by week in Shonen Jump. But the fact that we already got <laughs> we already got a movie laid out and planned for Jujutsu Kaisen, I would not be surprised considering that when every single producer saw the success of Demon Slayer Infinity Train, like their mouths got so slobbery and wet, dude. Like their tongues are on the fucking floor. Like, man, they are hungry for that kind of success. And so now the fact that Black Clover is getting a movie and My Hero Academia is going to be getting its third film this year and now Jujutsu Kaisen is already going to be getting a film based on one of its uh, prequel stories, man, I'm definitely curious to see how these are going to go. I'm only a handful of chapters away from finishing Attack on Titan, and I know that it's over, and I know that it's kind of been a bit of back and forth, but I'll just kind of, like, let that go and let my expectations be on the floor as I go through the last of this. Um, the two classical ones that I haven't jumped into yet, I'll give a shout-out to Vinland Saga. Same deal. First season of the anime were, was definitely fantastic, especially when you focus more on Askeladd instead of uh, Thorfinn considering that Escalade was definitely the one that had more than enough going on, but the fact that Thorfinn is actually going to be able to evolve over the course of the series, I would definitely be excited. And that is definitely on the list, but I just don't know because we have no further uh, notifications based on if Vinland Saga is ever going to be getting any more seasons, because the first 24 episodes were the prologue. Dude, the title of the final episode, episode 24, was End of the Prologue. 
Like, bruh, this is an epic. And it is a long-running series to boot. And I really hope we'll actually be able to get a second season within, oh, I don't know, like within the next five years. But I don't know, just gonna have to wait and see. And at that point in time, hell, I might actually have to go pick up the manga. So I don't know, man. And then I guess the last recommendation that I have absolutely no <laughs> information on, just going in blind, same deal, Vagabond. Same, <laughs> the... Two-page spreads that I've seen of a handful of chapters on this manga are absolutely breathtaking. And the story about how these samurai warriors have to move about and find their own purpose in life, that's a fucking story that I can get into. So, sure, you can go through with that. Maybe I'll join you up on the journey at some point as well. Now, if we're talking about Shonen Jump... There are three series that I've been reading that I've gotten into at different points in time that I would still kind of give recommendations towards. I mean, first off, if you want to jump on the train with me and essentially start reading the My Hero Academia manga, bro, we're going through some crazy times and some crazy stuff. I'm really curious to see how Season 5 adapts, not necessarily the arc that we're in the middle of right now because this one's like, oh, Class A fights Class B, ha ha ha. And, like, we're just going, like, back and forth and not a lot's going through. We're just getting backstories about new characters and everything else along those lines. Calm Before the Storm. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. The arc that's going to be coming after this is going to, like, blow everything wide open. And I am really curious to see how Season 5 is able to adapt it. There's a handful of scenes that I really want them to stick the landing on. I really want them to bring out the most with color and sound and motion. And if they're able to do those handful of scenes justice, I will be able to die a happy man. I guarantee you. Um, a comedy one that's jumping in on Shonen Plus, I mean, Spy, Spy X Family is, or Spy Family, I guess if I'm going with the Hunter Hunter uh, logic here, I guess it's just called Spy Family. Um, it's a comedy drama sort of deal, considering that we've got a makeshift family all being brought together for like a handful of different reasons where one is an incredibly talented spy, or in this case, the dad is a very talented spy. The mother is a high-grade assassin and the daughter is a psychic. So how the majority of their connections and interactions go through is going to be varying depending on how exactly you want to look at it. But every time it comes out, I mean, thoroughly enjoyed how essentially this makeshift family unit has been able to, you know... Give me some good times. It's an incredibly enjoyable watch at times for the comedy, at times for the introspection, and just at times for the family dynamic that is just more and more fun every week that goes by. And I guess the Shonen Jump title that I picked up very recently, I mean, hell, we got another chapter coming out today, um, is Blue Heart. It's definitely something that I haven't, well, it's not like I haven't seen anything in a long while um, since it's a high school sports romance essentially, where romance is definitely one of the highest points and, like, the major catalyst towards what essentially is going on in the show. Because we got a girl who's trying to make her way through nationals on her basketball team, a boy who is a little bit behind her in terms of his badminton prowess, but he's trying to, I guess, not impress her, but prove to himself that he's able to accomplish more than he offsets any of his abilities towards considering that it's not that he wants her to look up to him, he just wants something to come out of this passion, if not for her, but for the sport, and kind of see where he's able to take it upon himself. Considering that at the end of the first chapter, 
because their mums were family friends and sports friends and high school friends at that, she is now going to be living under the same roof as him, which is definitely more than enough of a setup that you've already seen before, considering that having the crush move in with you on a plethora of series has, has you know, a lot of ups and downs, mostly a turnoff because you know the majority of the shenanigans and hijinks that can essentially ensue towards the majority of them. But based on what they were able to accomplish within the chapter that came out this week, I'm really curious to see how their relationship develops over the course of time and if any of their goals are met. Because the one that's very similar to me in terms of this bane is Baby Steps considering that how the relationship between the two characters and their relationship to both each other and the sport that they play, which was tennis, and what they are able to accomplish and how they're able to drive their motivation and their goals forward through not only the sport, but through the connections and the relationships that they make between themselves. And I really enjoyed their chemistry and their time, and I'm glad to say that I'm getting the same sort of vibe and the same sort of impression from this series as well. But in terms of stories that are complete, I guess we should just keep on going on the romance train. Um, so Relife had a mediocre adaptation, which I would definitely have to say about the anime that ended up coming out. It did end up completing the story through a handful of OBAs that popped over, I think it was, I can't remember if it was 10 or 12 episodes in the initial run, but I would definitely say if you had the opportunity to either read or watch this, I would definitely read it. Since a lot of stuff between the other characters does get fleshed out, and I really enjoy how the main duo evolves and what their relationships go between not only themselves, but the friends that they make along the way, even though we know that the relationships that they make aren't going to last forever, and how they try to combat it, and how they end up living with their decisions and trying to get themselves back on their feet into a relentless society that doesn't necessarily care about them, but still in a way that they're going to be able to prioritize themselves and give them the strength and courage to move forward from that point on. And I mean, they're still, like, one of my favorite couples, dude. Like, Irata and Hishiro, like, both of them deserved to be with each other. But, I don't know, they're just gonna have to read to find out anyways. But I would say one that a lot of people recently figured out, whether you were the ones that have been reading it for more than a decade, or for the ones that just picked it up over the past couple of months, Horamiya's web novel just ended. And I did decide to blitz through the manga after I ended up watching the anime, considering that, eh, well, I will admit that it was very much what everybody, like, set it up to be. Like, after we ended up getting the major relationship out of our, you know, two main cast from Hori and Miyamura, it was definitely a lot of slice and life stuff. I, I, I would still, it, it's, it's blasphemous, and I would imagine not many people are going to be enjoying that I would say, hey, just... Watch the anime, considering that there's just a lot of stuff that they cut out, but it's just, no, you do get the full experience, at least for the main duo. Their entire dynamic and setup is able to be run down, developed, and complete within 12 episodes. So in terms of romance manga, eh, I'd still say you're pretty good with uh, jumping into the anime, but this is also a pretty good read. Now, rom-coms... Huh, alright, let, let's... <laughs> I honestly don't know how much you're essentially looking forward to any of these, but I think I'll list off a handful just to at least get them out of the way. I mean, one that's more comedy than romance would definitely go to Grand Blue. The Kenron Ashra Baki-style faces that the 
Mangaka is able to draw to amplify both the comedy and the ridiculousness of the scenario is always like a fun watch. Uh, the drinking dynamics between everybody. I mean, the anime is also really great because actually hearing them go through the majority of the lines and the jokes, considering that it is a comedy anime, I would be really curious to see if it would actually translate well into the English dub because I haven't necessarily uh, watched that because I did only watch the Japanese dubbed anime. And even that was fucking hilarious, considering that even though it wasn't able to get, like, the detail and the raw energy that jumps off the pages at you, the, the jokes always landed inside the show regardless. So, honestly, I'm going to have to be really curious to go through. But I, I would still say if you if you want to hear the jokes right out loud, then you can definitely go watch the anime. If you want to hear, or not hear, if you want to imagine but see the absolute ridiculousness of the the majority of the scenarios that go through here and come off the page, then you can also read the manga. And that goes through. Um, I guess a more subdued rom-com, which is definitely getting more into rom- into the rom than the com right now, is definitely uh, Komi-san. And I think it's just 100 Friends Komi-san, but I think that's a very abridged version of the title. But it's just something that I've been rating week by week for the past two years or so. And it's just kind of like we're doing this rotation over and over of the love triangle that popped up in the middle of the series. And so... If you if you like a great ensemble cast of comedy, I would definitely like still give it a watch. But as a heads up, there is going to be a lot of repetition in the romance stuff. So watch for the comedy than the romance. But one that does both romance and comedy equally well, a show that a lot of people have been jumping into as of late. One that has garnered massive acclaim, especially like due to the quality of the series in question, would definitely be uh, Kaguya wants to be confessed to, or in this case, just. Kaguya-san. Bro, this is so funny. It's the the direction that the anime is able to take because of the strength of all the staff and the production that they're able to move forward and can reconstruct these jokes with a different perspective has honestly been like one of my favorite comedies to watch like in the past decade. And the manga itself has more than enough content and more than enough stuff that to go by on a week-by-week basis that every single time I'm able to read one of these chapters, it's always a delight and it's always something to go through. It does the drama well. It does the comedy well. The romance has always been, like, more than enough developed in more cases than one. Everything has been, like, so... Everything has been so pitch-perfectly put together that it's just a marvel about how one man can just be this funny. And not only just use, like, regular rom-com tropes and, like, mold them into this modern story, but even use, like, modern elements in terms of, like, streaming, in terms of rap, in terms of, like, a lot of the comedy and movies that have been coming up as of late. Like, all of it just gets molded into this, like, fine piece of, not necessarily art, but this just raw... This is the rom-com that all rom-coms, like, aspire to be, for sure. And... The arcs that come through in the manga, when inevitably, because this show you know is going to be getting a third season. So when those arcs finally come to fruition, everybody is going to be excited and everybody is going to be laughing their ass off. Ah, right, that was a lot of good, uh, you know, rom-com, a lot of positivity, a lot of laughs. Uh, Laughs for the wrong reasons, I guess, yeah, I couldn't make a manga episode without going back to... What was essentially the biggest manga pitfall and the biggest drop in quality from any weekly part that I read um, in the vein of Shokugeki no Soma? Now, I think I already went in-depth about how the manga was adapted, especially into its later seasons, since I've seen 
I didn't end up watching season four. I only watched seasons one, two, and three. But damn, man, the decline in quality of the anime is not even close to the decline in quality of the, of the story that ended up popping up in those like last 50 or so chapters. Wow. It's just absolute horrendous writing. And the fact that it definitely seemed like whoever was getting the kick on this show, whoever was being shown the door, really just thought, fuck it, I'm gonna just write what I want. Because the final essential arc that happens in this story is just so laughably uncomfortable and uninteresting and just ridiculously stupid. Which I understand, I'm talking about Shokugeki no Soma. I'm talking about literally one of the most outlandish cooking concepts for a show that has ever been put onto the screen. But I mean, oh my god, the decline, dude. The decline of this final bit the antagonist that shows up and who is essentially anti-Soma, the the essential minions that he has brought on to his ensemble cast is just, like, one of the most laughable and forgettable pieces of just casting that I've ever, like, seen put onto the page. And it's just... Everybody was complaining about the direction and how stale, like, seasons three and four were in the in the anime. Dude, I don't... I, I, I don't even know if they finished the story, but... If they ever do, you will see why this is regarded as, like, one of the worst, if not the worst, drop-off in terms of a Shonen Jump manga in history. And I understand that we already ended up getting that in terms of an adaptation with the Promised Neverland uh, set of Season 2. Because at least in that vein, they're very similar in the majority of the story was really good and had a good premise and a good setup with a good cast of characters and everything that was lining itself up to be but could not stick the landing. And the manga, and even though I hadn't necessarily gone through the entirety of the manga Promised Neverland, I've not heard a single positive thing about its ending. And now, with everybody else just kind of getting up in arms about how the second season ended for Promised Neverland, it's just like, yikes. Both of them just go hand in hand in like some of the most tragic and disappointing endings to a mainstream series that has ever been put onto the page. Like, goddamn. But being positive again, I know it's tough, but there are always these ongoing, long-running series that are always going to be able to put a smile on my face, and some take one off of it, but for the right reasons. So I guess we'll get the first one out of the way, the Berserk manga. We ain't going to be talking about the anime, we can just leave that for a separate episode, but the manga... Even though the amount of time that we have to wait months upon months upon months between chapters is excruciating, what the manga story has been able to accomplish and the direction that it's heading in, as slow as it may be, is still possibly my favorite medieval fantasy story put to fiction. And man, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is fucking high up there. And I guess as an audiovisual, that is the one at the top. But just as a story, Berserk is just... That fucking good. And I know that we're never going to be able to get anything related to that kind of quality in terms of like an anime adaptation standpoint, but if you still have reservations about reading the manga just because of its extensive history and its length and the titan of a reputation that it has, just give it a read, man. You will not be disappointed. An interesting one to go through as well is the One Punch Man manga considering that the web novel is still ongoing and being written and drawn by one, but the Yusuke Murata redraw 
of this story. And especially with the recent chapters, not only being a redraw, but a retelling. Eh, well, okay, not necessarily retelling. It's diverting from the manga in the major fight that we are currently reading. Whenever, Because the only problem with this series is that even though it looks fucking amazing, just like Berserk, the release schedule is very scattered. And in this case, it also is subsequent to redraws of previous chapters because Murata had something that he actually wanted to go back and rewrite or just fix. So it's a little bit of an awkward release schedule because we know we get them like at least once every two months, but we don't know when in between. Sometimes it can take two months, sometimes it can take three, and sometimes it's like, hey buddy, I got this done in two and a half weeks, here you go. So it's really a slipshod in terms of when it actually does get released, but it's really good. And the fight, considering that I did read the current fight that we're on through one's storytelling and like one's direction... But I'm really curious because now that Murata is taking himself away from the direction that one is going, I'm actually curious to see if this like final fight is where he decides to end the story. And I'm really curious to see like the later parts about this arc and how those are going to get adapted in uh, Murata's eyes. I can only imagine. Hell, I can't imagine. Because the detail this man puts on the page puts almost everybody to shame. And he is an absolute monster when it comes to adapting something as visceral and raw in action as this. And I guess a final recommendation of a manga that is still incomplete and ongoing, but is now getting the same treatment as Berserk, because we are going through Land of the Lustrous, or Hoseki no Kuni, and we are entering uh, month four of its hiatus. Honestly, if you... Um, if you were like me and you really enjoyed the adaptation that Orange was able to bring to the screen, I would definitely recommend going and giving the series a read. They're all in Bookwalker. You can find a really good code in terms of actually getting a decent discount on them. Just go out and read them, man. They are absolutely fantastic. It's definitely weird considering the monochrome aesthetic, because hell, this is a manga, and how that kind of translates. But you're still able to get a good read on the majority of the characters because of their silhouettes and their stature and how well developed you were able to get your relationship between the rest of them and not only the anime but you're still able to have that sort of same connection even if you just read the manga and the manga goes places not places where you want to go but it definitely goes places it's very close to its conclusion like i would say within eight to ten chapters of its conclusion which isn't a lot, because I'm pretty sure it's still sitting at 96 chapters at the moment of this recording. And so we're probably going to be able to get this done within 110, or, or yeah, let's just even know, 105. But if this is able to complete in a satisfying way, it is damn near close to being a masterpiece for me. And if after all of this is said and done, and the manga concludes were able to get more adaptations of this series by Studio Orange, holy shit, I would be going to the moon. I would be so fucking hype, man. You have no idea. And so my last few recommendations will definitely go towards shows that I have an affinity towards, whether it's a relationship through an existing property, whether it's something that changes the landscape of the genre that it's in, or just something that had no reason to be on my radar and no reason to hit the way that it does, but still land in a special place for me. And so I think on that note, Fairburn at the Funeral is a different kind of medieval fantasy, um, in the sense that 
there is a story that is told very often in Japanese entertainment, manga, light novels, and everything else about an adventurer's party and a demon lord. That's all past. We follow Freyrin, who is this world-class mage who was a part of the hero party that went and defeated the Demon King. Their grandest adventure is over, but now Freyrin still lives, and she is an elf, and she is a very old one at that, and she has already gone through and lived past two of her three party members, one of which is a dwarf who also has a very long lifestyle, <laughs> lifestyle, a very long lifespan, their priest who recently passed, and the hero. The hero is the one that we keep getting glimpses and bits and pieces of information about his relationship with Freyrin, and what Freyrin moves on with, not only abandon, not well, not abandoning, because that's that's the tragedy of this. It's nothing malicious. It's nothing horrible about the way her comrades end. It's just time, and time has never been an enemy of hers, but it hasn't been an ally either considering that she has to continue to live. And even if she does make a genuine connection with somebody, unless it's somebody of her species who are very far and few between, she's going to have to watch them perish before she ever has the opportunity to, to die. And so through her old connections through her party, she is able to forge new connections with new mages, new fighters, new people. And the fact that she's able to do enough of this on her own is definitely astounding to the fact that knowing these relationships won't last and she will grow beyond them and live beyond them, the fact that she still has the genuine strength and compassion and empathy to continue to seek out connection with other people is honestly amazing. And that's really all I can do to kind of describe this series, considering that it's a fantasy adventure show um, that's very down-to-earth, it's lined mostly with magic and the meaning of life and what you do with your time and what your purpose and how exactly you try to move forward with yourself. Because, I mean, the cast is very lovable. All of them feel like a tight-knit family and everything that they go through and all the trials that they still have to manage to push through are definitely tough. But what they're able to accomplish together as a group is definitely grander than anything that they could do on their own. Sure, Freyrin is an incredibly high-level mage that she would be able to get through the majority of her problems on her own, but still the strength that she is able to grab and share with her comrades is definitely something that everybody looks for in a really good adventure story. It's always the cast. It's never the individual. And so the adventures that you would have to go with yourself to join these characters on is definitely something that I would recommend. And getting a little more visceral, though. Everybody kind of has an opportunity about what this is going to be bringing onto the stage because we know that Chainsaw Man is going to be getting an anime adaptation done by Studio Mappa of the same fame of Attack on Titan Season 4 and of Kids on the Slope and of the most recent Jujutsu Kaisen. Just everything that's leading up to this, this is unfortunately getting me hyped because, I, as I said before, that gets me nowhere, but man, I really want to see this be a successful adaptation because the manga is Definitely something that should be read, regardless of how visceral and gory and just depressing it can ultimately be. Because the cast that we're able to go through, through Denji and Maki and Power and, and Makima and Aki, Kishibe and Himano and Kobeni. Oh, Kobeni, you poor soul. 
um, is just more than enough, even though it's incredibly difficult to try and push forward with these characters, what they're able to do and what they're able to accomplish in the time that they've got is honestly a sight to behold. I mean, honestly, with something as gut-wrenching as the first chapter, where it's literally just Genji going through having no parents and a small demon dog sidekick that goes with him, but having to pay off a mafia debt through selling his own organs and essentially just losing bits and pieces of himself until he dies and fighting devils in the process, because that is a highly sought-after function, and he's already lost the majority of his body towards these battles and just to try and keep himself alive, and then when he's finally able to be on the brink of death and merge with the one demon that actually had any semblance of care towards him, he turns into Chainsaw Man and eviscerates everybody in front of him, only to be picked up by a mysterious figure by the name of Makima, who is going to be an interesting character to watch unfold, especially with the majority of the episode discussion, because everybody is going to be on her case, for better or worse. In the end, Denji joins up with this faction of people who have a job hunting down demons and devils and what manner have you as he evolves with his newfound power in the form of Chainsaw Man. And that's about all I can say, but God, the relationships that he tries to go and form because he had nothing in his life. My dude just wants to eat good food. He wants to sleep in good beds. He wants to kiss and sleep with better women. It's like all visceral and all innate fervent desires that everybody goes through. But he didn't have the opportunity to act on those desires as a kid. Because he's still a kid. Sure, a teen. But man, like his entire like innocence and child childhood was taken from him. Like there's not really much that he can do. So just doing the sim like going through the simplest urges that he wants to try and wants to accumulate and act upon is all that he can do. But the friends and the relationships that he forms inside the same section that he works on is also, you know, both genuine and heartbreaking at the same time. And it's just, there's, God, there's so much that I've really been looking forward to, especially with this adaptation that's going to be coming up. And so unfortunately, all I got to be is hype, which never, like I said, never really does any good for me, but it's hard to be not hyped for Chainsaw Man when you know the studio that's behind it, you know how the author has been able to go through. And this, this one is technically complete, or at least the first volume of the story. There's multiple volumes of the manga, but the first part of the story is now completed and is going to be continued forward in a different publication. So I'm really curious to see how the future of both the adaptation and the manga itself goes and moves forward. And the final recommendation that I've got going through today is something that I would definitely know that a lot of people have heard about in one form or another through at least its film, A Silent Voice. Shape of Voice, Koi no Katachi, everything that kind of just melds into each other. It's still the best recommendation I can say, even with the quality of the animated film, to read the manga. Because what Naoki Yamada was able to accomplish in the adaptation of this film is nothing short of grandeur and breathtaking, especially with the production, especially with how it looks like. Goddamn Kyoto Animation, you're just so good at bringing us to tears, not only through your animation, but through your characters and your dynamics and your stories as well. But I still have to agree that the manga is the better form of this story. Because even though we're able to get a relatively decent dynamic of the relationship between Shoya and Shoko, it's just that nobody else in the cast has the opportunity to shine, which they actually get development and they actually are more 
of a dynamic character, especially, like, coming off of the manga. Because even though, like, everybody else doesn't necessarily matter as much besides the relationship and the dynamic between the main two characters, what the rest of the cast is able to accomplish and grow in the midst of the manga's story is more than enough of a reason for you to go back and try and watch it, especially if you watch the movie first and felt like something was missing, because it definitely was. It's incredibly difficult to try and fit everything inside of that story, even though the movie was over two hours long, there's still a plethora of information and more than enough in terms of the pieces of its puzzle to finally fit into one another that you can only get from reading the manga. And even though the music and the atmosphere and the color and the motion and what the animation is able to accomplish in the movie, you're still going to be able to have something fill in those gaps for you that you weren't able to see brought onto the screen. And that's all the recommendations I have for you today. The list will probably evolve. It'll probably be moving forward just how I've been going through. I'm definitely going to be catching up through the majority of the manga that my buddy recommended to me, as well as the ones that have been sitting on my backlog for a good amount of time. But, yeah, no, there's just so much to consume and so much to read and so much to watch. And there's a lot of stuff that even though some are in quarantine, some are getting back to work, and everybody's trying to struggle to find time and go through in order to complete anything that they got on their backlog, anything to kind of just help them relax or help them unwind and help them escape. There's more than enough stories out there, especially with the ones leading through from Japan and leading through the pages of manga, so that there's more than enough to go through and more than enough for you to enjoy. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again to Two for One Special Podcast for giving me a shout out. Go give them a listen and have a good one. Cheers. Thank you.